0: It's Labor Day weekend, and um, we have a good number of people here. I know there's a bunch of folks online. Hi, guys online. We're glad that you're here, too. Even if you're in in an exotic location or you're at the beach, we still love you. We'll pray for you and that kind of thing. So um, so I'm Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I hope I'll be able to after the service. And, um, And I shared last week that this is my time of year. My pumpkin spice mania has... Taking over the world. And um, yeah, we're in the burr months, right? It's September. And it's also the start of a new see- of a new series. We're going to start today here at Table Life Church. Isn't that very exciting? And if you've got a, um, a program, a worship guide um, at the door, you can follow along with the message in there. If you're the note-taking type, I know some people are, some people aren't. Um, if not, then file that away. Recycle it, do with it as you will. But... Um, So today we're starting this new series, and it's called Jonah and the Fail. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means, a little bit different title than maybe that you've recognized with this story we're going to talk about. Um, And the good news is it being Labor Day, um, you don't have to worry about being eaten by any giant sea creature anytime soon. Because um, most of you will not probably be going to the beach anytime, but that, that's Jaws, right? That, that was the Jaws movie. I'm kind of mixing them up today. But h- how many of you guys basically know the story of Jonah? Just raise your hands. So you've heard it before. Maybe you've been to Sight and Sound Theater. And I, I don't know when it was a couple years back. It was um, over there. And, and many of us do, right? The gist of it is so spoiler alert here. Jonah doesn't obey God. He gets swal- swallowed by a whale, then gets thrown up on the shore, and then he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life. Right? No, I'm sorry. Once again, I muddled things up. That's Pinocchio, but I'm not going to just, just don't take notes on that piece. But, um, but a lot of times we consider the story of Jonah to be like a kid's story that maybe you were taught in Sunday school, you heard the story that it was shared, and maybe you knew a song with it. Our children's ministry, they're gonna be singing a song today that goes along with it, um, one that's actually semi-new to me. Um, But the, the truth is that the story of Jonah is really a story that connects with us, that reflects us. And specifically, it reflects on our failure. It's a story of failure. See, Jonah shows us that we are creatures of failure, that that we sometimes go our own ways. Of course, we try things in life, and they don't turn out as we thought that they would. But there's other times that we go our own way. We think we know it all, and we do what we want to do, and things don't work out as we thought they would. But also in that idea of failure, that all of us fail God. We fail God. We fail God's plan for us. We fail God's purposes for us. But here's the deal. The good news is the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end at failure. That judgment even is not the end of the story. And that's because failure may actually be God's plan to get us back to God's plan. Failure may be God's plan to get us back to God's plan. So the title of the message today, starting off Jonah 1, is Your Best Failure. Your best failure. Think for a minute. What is your best failure? Meaning that hadn't you failed, you would have never learned something Maybe about yourself, about others, about what, how you've been created. You never would've learned maybe da- a certain danger, or maybe you wouldn't have even met Jesus. Hadn't you failed at something in life? What is your best failure? Well, we're gonna start off in Jonah chapter one, um, starting off t- verses one through three. Each, the cool thing is, this is four weeks, four chapters. We're gonna kinda walk through a um, short book in the Old Testament scriptures. I've, Invite you to explore it on your own. Super short to read and kind of follow along with this. So, so first, this kind of first part is going to set our context for the story of Jonah. So uh, looking at verses 1 through 3. So this is what is said. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. We're gonna pause here. So let's look at the meaning behind some of this. First, Jonah himself is called by many the reluctant prophet. That's kind of the nickname that he's given. And his name, it actually means dove. You know, like the hoo, like the bird, like the dove, right? So his name means dove. So he's called the dove, meaning to be the peaceful one. The peaceful one. But it's interesting because the peaceful one is the one who ends up disobeying God, right? So then we also have this other name that's listed here, son of Amittai, Amittai. So Amittai is Jonah's dad. That's his father. And his name means truth. His name means truth. So isn't that a great name of a prophet to be called the son of truth, right? And it's interesting how Jonah reflects that, meets that head on in this this story. And then we have the city, the city of Nineveh. The city that Jonah was commanded to go to, the city that he was commanded to preach to, which happens to also be the capital of Assyria, this, this nation called Assyria. And Assyria, if you didn't know, is actually Israel's, one of Israel's worst enemies of all time. And we're going to see why in just a couple minutes here. But if you look again at verse 1, you see that it said that what came to Jonah? The word. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. See, the good news is that we have a God who loves to speak. We have a God who loves to speak, a communicating God, not a far off distant God just sitting on a couch, eating bonbons, watching the world turn, but a God who actually communicates with humanity. And we see in the scriptures that God communicates in a bunch of different ways, that he talks through prophets in the Old Testament, he talks through circumstances, he later in the New Testament, we're told he speaks through the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given us, that he also speaks through his word, that that we can trust that when we open up the scriptures, that, that somewhere in there, God is going to be speaking to us. And we also find that sometimes God will have a very specific word for us, just as he had for Jonah, this specific job, this specific duty, this specific idea. And for us, it may be a little bit different than going to an actual place like Nineveh, but it may be to change something. It may be to move in a new direction or see something in our lives, some sin, some revealingness, um, to be obedient. To what god might be calling and the thing is though when the word of the lord comes we all have a choice we all have a choice the good news is that god were god's word comes but the challenging news is that very much we're like jonah we're like jonah there's a jonah in us and we see in this first part that the jonah in us is reflected by the fact that god will often ask you to do things you don't want to do God often asks us to do things that we don't want to do. And, and the reason why we don't want to do the things that God wants us to do, why do we do that? Because I know best. <laughs> you know best, right? I know better than that. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm that's like, okay, I know best. We, we often try to convince ourselves. I do this all the time. Try to convince ourselves that we know what's better that we know it's better. You can come up with a great argument for eating a whole container of Oreos, even if you're on a diet, right? You can you convince yourself this is a health food. I've done that before, right? There's carbohydrate, there's, there's um, calcium, right, in the cream part. Like, you can come up with all sorts of arguments there. You could convince yourself that you think you know better. So, so just to kind of play off this, um, I want you to help me out just for a minute here. I'm going to ask you, what's the best? What, is, what do you think is the best? Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate people? Vanilla people. Okay, you think you know what's best. So vanilla people, you're going to tell chocolate people, ah, you're a little bit off, right? Chocolate people, you will tell the vanilla people, ah, no, you got it wrong, right? You think you know what's best. How about this? Pumpkin or apple? Pumpkin or apple flavor? Pumpkin. Pumpkin people, my pumpkin friends. Yes. Amen to that. And apple? Okay, we have a lot of apple. Okay, you think you know best. How about this? This is going to cause a little division. I'm going to pray for this moment. Eagles or Steelers? I have to say, I call them, okay. Eagles. Eagles, fly. Eagles, fly. Okay, Steelers. Or I really just don't care. Yes, amen to that. So, but think about it. We think we know what's best. We think we know what's best. But in our lives, often sometimes someone in authority or someone with more knowledge will tell us what to do, right? And, the, and then we'll say the same thing. I don't want to because what? I feel like I know what's best. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your teacher. Maybe it's, it's someone in some position who says, you should do this. A parent, uh, you know, you should do this. No, I think I know what's best. I, uh, this is the first week of school around here this week. And I have a friend that's um, a kindergarten teacher. So she met her class and had everybody. I think it was like the first or second day she told me this story. She said um, they were like getting started on like some little projects just to get the kids into a structure of when to do certain things. And so they had an assignment to do. I think it was some kind of craft or numbers or something. And there was this one little boy that was sitting at his desk, and he wasn't doing it. He was like looking around. He's like had like a, like a sour face. And so she goes up to him and is like, hey, honey, I need you to start your work just like everybody else. She urged him to do his work. And he looked up at her and he said, you do know that I didn't sign myself up for this. My dad did this. She said like she had, yeah, she had to like keep that straight face like and not laugh, right? The first day of school, right? You think like we know what's best kindergartners do, you know, for 40, 50, 80 years old, you think you know what's best. A lot of times we think we know what's best, and that's the context for Jonah, for Jonah. So let's go back to the scripture. There's a command here in verse 2. So God's speaking to, to Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to him, and he says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and do what? Preach, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So, just pause here. You might wonder, you know, if Jonah's a prophet, um, why didn't he obey this very simple assignment? Why didn't he follow this? Well. In order to understand that, you have to understand the history of Nineveh, or basically the Assyrian Empire. And I'm not going to go on an hour lecture here about this, but basically the story is that the Assyrians were a conquering people. They embarked on a lot of battles with different people to take them over. And when they conquered people, they were absolutely brutal. They were brutal. They were brutal in how they handled the, the capture of towns and cities. They were brutal in how they handled captives. That it was just awful. They would come in and rape and pillage the city. They would actually take people that they killed and they would take their heads with them back home. Imagine this. You know, you have flags out front. You have nice little wind chimes and things out front of your house. Guess what they did? They took people's heads and they lined them up and they made little pyramids out of them to show the place that they had conquered. That's nice, Huh? And what's more than that, they would even take people and they loved to torture. They loved to torture people. Really, really scary stuff. They would skin people alive and then they would take them to the desert and they would bury them in the sand. And they imagine the hot sun is shining down and they're still alive after they've been skinned and what a horrible death. And then they put on the Macarena on repeat. So you had to listen to that as you were dying in the hot sun and you're, you know, I don't know if they did that part, but it was just crazy, right? Awful, like who does that? So knowing that, you may have a little bit of more mercy on Jonah to think like, yes, you know, Jonah, maybe he had a relative or a friend who had been one of those captives who had been killed. Uh, or maybe himself too, maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe he was also very fearful to say, go to them like, you know what they did to everybody? You know what they did to my grandfather? You know what they did to these people? He was afraid of failing because he might die in the midst of going to them. So God said, I want you to do this. And in Jonah's mind, he had very legitimate reasons why he didn't want to obey God. Very legitimate reasons. And and maybe you can relate. You know, maybe somebody's wronged you. Maybe a friend, family member, and they've hurt you. And you know that God's called you to forgive. But you say, I don't want to. They don't deserve it. Or maybe God's calling you to step up your involvement. Maybe at your your school. Or maybe even here serving at the church. And you know what? You came from a church that really hurt you in the past. And it's been really, really hard and things were handled poorly. And so you have a very legitimate reason not to. To kind of keep your distance. Or maybe maybe it's a relationship, right? A relationship that that you've been in um, and you know that it's not healthy for you. And you know that this may not be a good situation. You know, maybe you're being pulled back. Maybe for you it's being pulled back into old habits. And, and you know, you have a legitimate reason because there's a lot of stress going on in your life. But a lot of people will say, you know, I know that's what God says. I know that what, it's maybe even what God is calling me to do. But I have my reasons. I don't want to do this. I, and, and almost like I don't really care, right? Or maybe like Jonah, maybe you're afraid of failing. You're afraid to try because you're really afraid of failing. And maybe not like Jonah and dying in that case, but afraid of being hurt. And maybe you've thought, okay, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do, uh, but I don't want to do it now, right? That's often what we do. I do the same thing, you know, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Like, not right now. Like, okay, I can follow God a little bit later, you know, when I get my act together and what he wants me to do. But, but get this, delayed obedience is really disobedience. That is kind of like the parenting technique. You know, all the parents here, or maybe you've experienced this from your parents. You know, it's kind of like when, they, when you were doing something and maybe mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or someone reached over and pointed to you and they said, don't make me come over there, right? And then, like, you basically kept doing what you were doing. You wanted to like push the limits. And you, you maybe you get to it later, and then they did the countdown, right? One, two, two and a half. That you know, and you're still like do like that that whole thing that that delayed obedience is still disobedience. Um, Pastor Irwin McManus says this He says you can tell the maturity of a person between the distance of the command of God and their obedience. If the distance is short, it tends to be that they're mature in their faith. If the distance is long, most likely they're very immature. See, it may not look like failing to us, but I think it's the Jonah in all of us, all of us have Jonah in us, that God will tell us to do some things that we don't want to do. We have great excuses and reasons why we shouldn't, but he tells us to do that. And, and, and whenever God does speak, you know, there's going to be those times that we have to make that choice. But I think, I think a second part here about kind of the Jonah in all of us is that you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. And, and some of you guys, you know this for real you know what I'm talking about because you're like, Hey, you know, maybe you stepped into faith or into church and you're like, Hey, I want to obey God. God's at work in my life. You know, you've been baptized and then all of a sudden your old buddy comes along and says, Hey, so-and-so great to see you. You know, come with me. Let's get back to the old stuff. And you get out of the habit and you kind of get disconnected. But watch here what happens with Jonah. So God says, I want you to preach to the Ninevites. And then we see in verse three, but what did Jonah do? But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. There's always a boat going in the wrong direction. Why did he sail for Tarshish? Well, God said go east to Nineveh, and basically Tarshish is west. It's west, and not just a little bit west, not like, like you know, going to Pittsburgh west, but this is 2,500 miles west. Some scholars say this probably would have taken like a year, a year. That's a lot of running, right? That's, that's a long time, and maybe you can relate. Maybe you've had a time in your life that you've run from God. You've gone in the opposite direction, like the total opposite direction. But then you realize that you can run for a while, but you can't run forever. That sooner or later that it will catch up with you, that God will catch up with you. And, and, and maybe, maybe you haven't been on the run. Maybe that hasn't been a part of your story, but I think all of us can relate that some of us have drifted. There's been times in our lives that we've drifted if you've gone to the beach maybe this summer or in the past um, and the you know there's that rip current thing they put up the warnings they put little flags closer and um, and sometimes you know if you go out or you take the kids out and you're swimming swimming in the ocean with the boogie board and going down through the waves and then you like turn around and you look back at the shore what's usually happened right you're like this you've moved you've moved you're not at the same spot maybe you started on the flag And then guess what? You're far, far away from the flag and then the lifeguard starts blowing their whistle and like they're waving you over, right? And did you intend to go that way? No. You drifted. You drifted. We drift. We drift. There's times that we've drifted and we haven't realized it. And then one day we look back and we wonder, like in our faith especially, like how did I get so far from God? I thought we had this, I had this close relationship with God, but now it's like a, not what it was before. And it wasn't that you were running; it was just that you were drifting. You were drifting. See, some of us, we all of us, have the potential to fail intentionally. We can choose to throw the game, but we can also do it unintentionally, and that's the drifting that happens. But the Scripture says, "The word of the Lord will come." It may not be what you want to hear, but when you run, you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. But while we're on the run, while Jonah is on the run and drifting, what happens is God may send a storm to grab your attention. God may send a storm to grab your attention. So continuing the story, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors, can you imagine this? Like, we're afraid and each cried out to his own God. And then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So th- th- basically, if this is a cargo ship, this was a very strong ship. This was a very strong ship. But it also, that means there was a very great wind to threaten to break it apart. And imagine the sight, the panic that's going on here. Then it continues, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He must have been super tired, right? No insomnia for this guy. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we'll not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So just think about that last part, his response here. Isn't it very interesting? A storm blows up, and all of a sudden, when things go bad, Jonah starts bringing up God talk. Right? Oh, he's like going 2,500 miles like out of the way to get away. He brings up God talk when things go bad. Can you relate? Don't we do that? You know, we do that. We say, you know, we worship God. You know, do you worship God? Really, Jonah? You're in the boat in the wrong direction. Or is it just now when you need him? Just now. Just now. And I think at this point, this is kind of the turning point for Jonah here, because I think it's at this point he finally realizes, it's my fault. It's my fault. I think he's thinking, what I was doing, Jonah's private rebellion against God, get it, it wasn't hurting anybody. But now, he's hurting all these people. Has that ever happened with you? You know, you're doing your own thing, and you wound up, like, I can do whatever I want, right? And then what happened? What happened? You hurt the people that were closest and nearest to dearest to you. Or maybe you were one of those people who has been hurt by someone else's actions that thought that it was just about them. See, Jonah finally owns up. And he says in verse 12, he says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault and this great storm has come upon you. And the funny thing is, the sailors, they first decide to not do that. They tried to row back to shore, you know, row, row, row your boat gently. That didn't work. That didn't work. But finally, they reached the point that there's no other thing to do. Everything's falling apart, and they're like, we're gonna die, so I guess we have to throw you off. And they do, and they're like, we're sorry, Jonah, forgive us, but we're sending you off the way. And then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. See, people say Jonah and the whale for the story, but it's actually not a whale, it's a fish. It's a fish. The original text, thousands of years old, Says it's a fish. But in any case, no wanna burst your bubble there. It doesn't really matter. It was big and it was nasty and it probably smelled a whole lot if you've ever been in the fish for three days. But I think Jonah Jonah shows us though the failure may be exactly what's needed. Failure may be exactly what we need. See the sailors respond to Jonah. And it's interesting how does god respond well he sends this fish but the scripture says now the lord provided provided it's a word hebrew word manna, meaning to appoint or count or reckon that it's the same word of provision provision god provided see the fish actually saved jonah from drowning god provided A sign of God showing mercy. A lot of times we think it's the opposite, that we think that, oh, this is the punishment. This is God's provision right here. The failure is God's provision. Think about that. And I don't believe that everything in the world happens because God is causing it. But I do believe that God can use those things to get our attention, to help us change direction, to teach humility to teach dependence. See, God intervenes sometimes and saves us from what's further down the road that we would really, really, really regret. I think summing this whole part of the story up, I think there is a best part of failure. The best part of failure is that failure may be God's plan to get you back to God's plan. Failure may be something that God uses to steer you in the direction. See, Jonah, though, echoes our story of salvation. The story of rebellion, rebellion from God's call, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, rebellion, Think we know best, we do our own thing, something that's embedded inside of us. But then there's this time that we're called and we're asked to turn around, to stop relying on ourselves because that's broken, that's not working. You, know, you look around the world for how many thousand years has humanity tried to fix itself? A long, long time. That's the story of the Old Testament scriptures. We can't do it but then we're given an opportunity to turn around, an opportunity for the acceptance of God's call and God's heart. But in that story, we all have a Nineveh. We all have an enema, but the word of the Lord will come to you and you'll have a choice on what to do. And Jonah shows us you can always find a ship sailing in the wrong direction. A storm may grab your attention, But coming face-to-face with our failure may be exactly what we need. And so as we approach the Lord's Supper today, as we approach the table, maybe in this you've recognized that you have been on the run. You have been on the run, and maybe it's time for you to come back. Or maybe you've been drifting. Maybe there's a time that you've been drifting. Maybe for you it's just seeing the ways that God has provided even through the difficulty, even through the things that you didn't ask for. Or maybe for you, maybe you just have to know that the failure is not the end of you. It's not the end of the story. And maybe your prayer today would be that God renew that joy of my salvation. God, receive me in your grace, Lord, that you would meet me here. Because the good news is that what would look like the biggest failure of all time, a Christ, a Messiah, who would come to the earth not as a king or as a warrior, but as a carpenter and as a rabbi. That he would come and he would die on a cross. That everybody's expectations was not for that. It would look like the biggest failure of all time, but guess what? God was doing something new. And through the cross, that would be the source of redemption. That would be the source of our salvation, that that Jesus would open the doors for all of us and the start of a brand new kingdom here and now. And so as we approach the table today, in our minds and hearts, that we would have a spirit of confession, knowing the ways that we have been like Jonah, that we haven't measured up, that we have gone our own way and gone astray, And in our minds and hearts, we confess them in this moment.